I'm Rob. I'm E. I'm Brian. Hey, what's up? I'm at Fitty Dives or Tariq, depending on uh, how you know me from. I'm uh, just released King Cobra with Brian Edels. Welcome to the next movement, Brian Annals and Infinity Knives. You really excited to talk to the two of you, particularly about this uh, album that you got out. It came out in June called King Cobra. Yes, it's an album that I think immediately connected for E and I. So let's just jump right in. I think it's safe to say that the sound you guys have crafted, specifically the production that Infinity Knives brings, is one of the most unique. In our time, in modern hip-hop, could you talk a little bit about, Brian, about what sort of draws you to, to the sonicscapes that Knives crafts um, and, and how that might work with your like writing style? What draws me to it is because um, it's so fucking out there. Mm. Um, I'd be bored. You know, guys, uh, and we'll say you're a beat pack and it's like, you know, 10 trap joints or 10 boom bap joints. With Knives' production, I have to figure out a very specific way to approach the beat. Um, it's it's clinical in that way. And a lot of times, as a producer, you know, because he's more than just a beat maker, he gives me a specific bounce or a line to run with or like a flow. Um, so our whole goal was really to just make this sound like definitely not nothing now and hopefully nothing like what you ever really heard. You know, mm -hmm. that was very conscious. Yeah, the the sound is is definitely one of the things that makes this such a amazing album for me, but yeah. also because of how it's constructed. So I'm reading Octavia Butler's Parable series right now, right? So this album is, is this your first time reading it? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Parable of the Talent, so I'm not finished yet. So no spoiler alerts. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> no spoiler alerts. But yeah. this album is really relevant for me because when I listen to King Cobra, it feels like I have access to your diary. One yeah. that's giving a firsthand account of what life has been like in apocalypse in an apocalyptic world, right? It's in real Absolutely. time, but you're also providing a lot of historical facts that help explain how we got here and why we continue to experience the horrific things that we do. So with all that said, for me, King Cobra is like a survival kit. It's a tool that's helping to guide us through all this craziness. And I'm wondering if you looked at the album wow. this way and if it served as an outlet for you. I mean, 100%, um, to answer the uh, second question first, 100% mm -hmm. outlet. Um, one thing, you know, everybody, if you're creative, create how you want. There's yeah. obviously no definitions to what you have to do or talk about. But I just felt it bizarre with everything that's going on in the world and has been the five or six years that it's just not being addressed more within hip hop or even within alternative rock or any other genres so we really felt an urge to speak to it 
and uh, mm. speak about it and not directly or to get like too on the nose and be mm. like, you know, this is a fuck Donald Trump, fuck MAGA song. Mm. But we wanted to capture kind of this, I think this darkness yeah. that I think we all kind of feel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a sense of hopelessness in a way. You know, we always call this like the Empire Strikes Back one. You know, mm. Rhino was kind of like Star Wars, and this is the one where, you know, Luke gets his hand cut off, and you don't know if they're going to make it in the end. Because yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's just somebody had to speak to it. And I kept getting worried. I told uh, Gary Sorbis this. Like, when a major artist would drop, like Kendrick or J. Cole or whoever, I'm like, yo, these guys are going to take our thunder because they're going to address these things that people seem to be avoiding. And then they just, you know, go further up their own assholes, which mm. is good for us. <laughs> Probably better for the genre as a uh, as a whole. But um, Parable of the Sower was definitely in my mind, consciously and subconsciously, mm-hmm. uh, what I in this album. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, scarily accurate mm-hmm. to what we're going through right now. Um, you know, the elimination of the middle class, that thin, tight rope that we kind of seem to be walking, you know, we're not really far from that. Yeah. I just, the two, the parallels between, you know, the books and this album was just right there for me. So yeah, it's scary because it's so relevant to, you know, the world right now and how we're living in. Sure. And like, yeah. So for me, you know, one of the things that I think brings me comfort is, is like you said, when people address this, because I sort of need to feel like I'm not, crazy and i'm the not the only one that's seeing this shit you know so i really you know king cobra really does that for me and i'm i imagine a a lot of other people would say the same ask you all a question for sure yeah how did you um how did you come across the uh the album rob sent it to me oh really and zilla rocka sent it to me got it yeah zilla um zilla's a a good friend he's been putting the word out so shout out to Mm. him yeah Mm. i was just curious yeah what I also really love about this album is what feels like a relationship between the past, the present, and the future through the album sound. So you have a yeah. lot of tracks that give shout-outs to music from different eras, and you combine these sounds with ones that could be considered modern day and others that feel really futuristic. Did you do that on purpose? Yeah, definitely. Um, everything was very um, intentional mm-hmm. um, with this record. And Tyrese coming in now, and he can probably explain further the Sonics, but his whole thing was just this album being his homage kind of to music of the 20th century. Not just hip-hop, but also classical. What up, bro? What up, man? My camera's actually funny. Let let me tell you something, Brian. Dealing with your incompetency makes me want to drink again. Makes me want to start drinking. <laughs> and, and I'm trying to lay off the buy, sauce. Man. You, couldn't, you just couldn't find the email. You kept saying, you kept sending me, like you sent, you sent me like half the emails both times, bro. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> so what? The we have the, work, right? we have the link. Oh. I was testing you, but they were asking about the intentionality of it was intentional to like do the old school, the present, and the future. Would you say it was? I would say yeah. I mean yeah, definitely like intentional is in the fact that we're making callbacks, but. Not a, not as a timeline. Not we didn't do it to make it a timeline, mm-hmm. but we did it to be like, oh, that's funny. Like, you know, we fuck with Sir Mix a lot. Let's 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 do some Sir Mix a lot type shit on here, you know. <laughs> but we yeah. actually do we we do listen to that shit though. Yeah. So like constantly. So it's like um, it was uh, it was more of an homage rather than like us being like quirky or sort of uh, kind of like gimmicky about it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. 
Uh, let's talk Melancholy Boogie. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album, and um, I, I want to just run down a few of the lyrics real quick. Let's start with, bitch, I'm from Maryland. We need a new flag. I like when I, when I uh, say lyrics on the show because it's an opportunity for my, me to sound extra white. I th- <laughs> I can't, that you said it, not me. <laughs> I think I know where this lyric might go, but could you tell me a little bit about Maryland's flag and why they need a new one? Well, um, if you know a Marylander or if you've been to Maryland, like we, we really love our fucking flag. And it is a dope flag. Um, but it was kind of a joke about that, like the love of the flag and also just what Maryland is. I mean, obviously you got crabs, which is like a, an obvious joke, but really a deeper thing about, you know, the, the fucking heroin problem mm, um, yeah. that we've seen a lot of growing up here. Um, mm. That's kind of stretched from Baltimore City and really touched everybody. Um, which we kind of get into in different parts of the album as well. Yeah. Fuck Ted Cruz forever. I hope he gets stabbed. I don't really have a question about that. I just like a, like a heavy hell yeah uh, to that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I, you know, I joke about liking like conservative politicians all the time, but I can't even joke about liking them. Yeah. He's like so, ugh, man, uh, he makes my throat itch. <laughs> yeah, he's like e- it, evil funny, incarnate. I had like, you know, I had like the rhyme scheme and I knew I wanted to stab somebody. <laughs> And I'm like, yo, who should I, who should I put in here? And, and Tyreek's like, you know, like Ted Cruz, like, of course. Like, how did I miss that? Like, of course. Yeah, Stab like Ted immediately, Cruz. immediately, yeah, immediately. That was his first jump right to it. I love it. It works. He, he is the fucking worst, man. Lying Ted. Yeah. Last lyric that I want to bring up. From, I mean, I I feel like we could talk about this song a lot, but um, and I know E wants to talk about it. But last lyric I want to highlight. I don't know what's happening. I just know we ain't winning. The Orioles suck. They won't win a pennant. I'm just wondering if you'd like to retract that statement at this at this point in time. No, because they lost like 14 to 4 the other night, I no, think. They did get blown out by the Red Sox. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's funny. We did a, uh, a show um, in early August, I want to say. and I It was July. It was July. It's mid-July. Mid-July. And I switched yeah. the line like on stage. And I was like, the <laughs> Orioles don't suck. We might win the pennant. Um, <laughs> But but now it's seeming prophetic again, so I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. But the uh, the the reference to we ain't winning was just uh, black American in general. Right. right. Mm. Uh, you know, me mm-hmm. and Tyreek always talk about the fact that you know the transatlantic slave trade. Not to get too heavy, uh, we never frame it as you know a war. Um, you know, when you kidnap people and bring them over, you know that's yeah. making prisoners. You know, it's a war. So that's what we're not winning. Right now, so that that was a reference to that. Sure, no, yeah, yeah I appreciate that. Yeah, we we have an uh, an earlier song called the Black Power Paradox, which which is a deeper dive into that line, where it's mm. basically like, you know, it's black power, but there's also like a paradoxical sort of element to it, and it's not it's not necessarily like we're it's not necessarily like a lost thing, but it's also like sort of. You know, there's a lot of dark shit to come to terms with, you know, and there's uh, there's no really true liberation without like some, you know, there there's no like incremental liberation (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's essentially my take on it. Um, And our conversations always lead up to that, you know, which where the black power paradox sort Mm. of uh, that's where that comes from, because, you know, you're raising your fist, but at the same time, like. You know, we got to do a little bit more than that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not hinting anything. FBI, don't. You know, I'm, la- <laughs> I'm lazy as shit. 
<laughs> I'm not in a group with this man. <laughs> yeah. But that that's what that's what that just to give a, a deeper context to that. Just because it's uh, Brian left it so bleak. He was like, Yeah, everything sucks, we lost. <laughs> you know, but it's like, come on, man, yeah. <laughs> I have a question about what you were saying further down the road in this conversation, but I, I wanted to talk about something with Melancholy Boogie. So there's a lot of songs like this in the world, right? That like sound really upbeat, but they're really digging into some heavy shit. But mm. I think the difference here is like this is the approach is more intentional. I mean, you're really addressing that. So what came to mind for me when I first heard this song is how we minimize or completely ignore all the tragic things that are happening in the world and just sort of carry on as if, as if nothing is happening. Right. So like right. COVID is an example of this, like we're just sort of dancing to the beat, not listening to the lyrics. And sometimes that feels like it's done out of ignorance, but other times it feels like it's intentional because it's how some of us derive. So I sort of already asked the question, in regards to whether or not your music is an outlet for you. But I, I wondered also if it's a form of escapism. Do you, and when you're creating music, do you, you do that to escape? I would say um, no. I think mm. I try to uh, kind of embrace that, uh, for lack of a better term, like that darkness. I think the music is where I force myself to kind of consciously think about that type of shit. Because mm. mm. um, we all have to kind of skim over in our daily lives just to like maintain sanity. Yeah. Um, and the music's where I get to like dive in and deal with that, you know, that that hurtful, harmful, violent shit in a way that, you know, I can express it to other people too. And I think that's that's the um that's what's cathartic about it is being able to have other people hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true because um Brian avoids everything. He's had the same like coffee cup in the backseat of his car for like three years since I've known him. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely avoids all his problems and then he just uh, raps about him later on. Definitely. So it's a total opposite. Yeah. 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 Which is why I appreciate having Brian as a compatriot because I feel like he sort of, that sort of keeps a balance between, you know, because I tend to be sort of like floaty and you know, at least instrumentally, and he sort of, uh, you know, kind of anchors that a little mm -hmm. bit, so yeah, it doesn't, the, the grounder, it doesn't become, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure, like a serious movie with like magical realism, I suppose. You know, with some like uh, some Guillermo del Toro, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's some really serious shit, but you have like little bell chimes and my little, you know, violins, which is Guillermo del Toro. Shout out to Guillermo del Toro. We. Uh, that line "I'm dying, I'm dying" is actually from his movie Chronos. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I didn't even think about that, but yeah, wow. It's a, it's a quote from that movie. I, I wanted to talk about the Badger quickly, um, just because when I heard this song, to me it sounded really, really personal. And I mean, I think a lot of this is, you know, sounds personal, but that one in particular. Yeah. I'ma kill my landlord, so I got a heater. Specifically, a nigga got a nine millimeter. If he don't believe in God, I'ma make him a believer. He will have no choice, cause he really about to meet him. So yo, six weeks ago, I'm getting evicted. Beg my landlord to help a nigga. Said he couldn't risk it in the streets. Been out here for weeks, sitting where I sleep. Ain't got shit to eat. Bro, this homeless shit is beat. Rewind, two months ago, I lost my job. Was living check to check, but check to check is getting robbed. Home of the free, land of the underpaid. Basically, had a closet off a minimum wage. Now, I don't even have. 
with my son. This is America, so I spent my last on a gun. Yo, shout out to sex workers, trans lives matter, house the unhoused, black power. I don't give a fuck who just became a billionaire. I don't give a fuck if they black. You better off telling me who just dropped the dude or who's in the stepsister point. Yeah. I don't give a it sounded like it was inspired by true events. I mean, I wondered if you could speak to that, Brian. Is is that correct? Um, from my perspective, uh, surprisingly, no. Okay. Um, to me, Brian, it was... Brian is a homeowner. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. It's more about me. Yeah, it was definitely. Oh, really? far, okay. Yeah. Yeah. As far as okay. the personal part, because Tyreek gave me the uh, like the bounce and the thesis for that song, which is the first couple bars of the second verse. Right. My name's Jim, trying to live under a bridge, lost his wife and kids. And I uh, I built a narrative around that part. And my goal was um like a cover of Biggie's Niggas Bleed. Hmm. Um, hmm. I formatted the song exactly like that. Because it's like my favorite story rap. Life After Death is like my favorite album. Hmm. Almost as like a, an MC exercise. So you get the first verse is setting up the situation where everybody exists. The second verse, Biggie's talking about Arizona Ron and giving you his background, which is Jim. Yeah. And then the third verse is kind of like the falling action and the climax. So with mm. me, it was very much like a writing exercise, but Tyreek can talk about, you know, the, what kind of gave him that. And I guess the, the, the personal aspect of it. Yeah. I, I mean, I know a guy named Jim who's actually homeless, uh, who, I, who I was like pretty close friends with, but, He's not he's not that cool, but he is a cool guy, you know, in his own way. And uh, I was homeless too for a long time, so I had like that sort of anger, um, yeah, you know, built in. I still I feel like it still kind of fucks with me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but like I said, like Brian and I are the opposites. Where music for me is like you know grabbing onto like a sense of control and power, mm. and you know, sort of, uh, you know, you. you you know what I'm saying? Like, it's sort of more of a glory, uh, like a victorious thing for me. Yeah. So to write that was, you know, I mean, to co-write it in a sense or give Brian the idea for it was sort of a little bit, uh, was kind of my thing more, you know, because I've had to deal with like homelessness and, you know, shitty landlords and, uh, yeah. and like, and like real true living on the streets type shit, not, you know, I'm couch surfing, like having, you know, like literally living in a tent, you know, yeah. under a bridge and shit. Yeah. yeah, but my life is good. Yeah, now <laughs> yeah, it was see her inside. Yeah, yeah, I have a giant apartment now. That's beautiful and a nice doggy. Thanks to that Infinity Knives money that I yeah. <laughs> 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 I played. Hopefully one day. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I feel like you know we're sort of living in times where that can be a lot of people's story, but something about it just sounded really personal. So thanks for oh, it's yeah. quick. It like you don't think it can happen but it's uh it's like unfortunate because it's like i'm of sound mind you know i you know i've never really like it just happens yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so i feel like i feel like um at least people within most of like 99 percent of people we know it can happen to them just a couple mistakes away yeah, you know? yeah. one or two um, paychecks yeah, yeah right. seriously but yeah i think i think that's where the person the, the it being personal came from it's just mm -hmm. like we're not that much different from uh, staying outside. Right. Yeah, I think that one or two paychecks thing is like true for most of America, a good chunk of America, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I, I love this song. What I love about it, one of the things I love about it is just the, the like bubbling, overflowing anger that makes its way into the hook, which is, you know, you, Brian's going off about shit that really is not necessarily connected to... <laughs> 
to the landlord yeah, of being homeless. That stuff was personal to me. Yeah. I, I really feel that strongly about people like posing next to cars. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. No, he was actually like in a bad mood when we wrote that too. He like wanted to get out of the studio. Mm. Like quick. Yeah. He was like in a, he was in a terrible mood. It was cold as shit outside. Mm. And it was like the last couple of days of uh, recording. I was about to say filming. Recording King Cobra. And we were all just in a bad mood. So when he started saying that shit, I just thought it was like hilarious. <laughs> He's just rambling. <laughs> it was. I don't think it was even supposed to be in the song, hmm. right, Brian? Yeah, like, we kind of did it as like a gag. And, yeah, um, yeah. The uh, the engineer that was recording it, our boy Griff was like, "Nice, nah, you like you know, keep that in." Yeah, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm glad you did. It brings a, it, you know, it brings some humor into a rather heavy subject. So yeah, that, that's kind, that's kind of what we you know that's um. We always, it's dark, you know, the album's dark, but you know, there's like a, a sophomoric kind of humor um, yeah. overlapping the whole thing too. And that's kind of just being Tyree's personality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's talk about death of a constable. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I heard that line about supporting the riots at the Capitol and how those folks had the right idea, but the wrong motivation, it, it literally stopped me in my track. So I, I was outside gardening, pulling weeds, listening yeah. to this. And I literally stopped and I was like, huh? And the person that immediately came to mind for, for me was Fred Hampton. Right. Cause like we right. know a large part of the, his work focused on educating, connecting with white folks from working class families, because they also experienced poverty and adequate, education substandard housing etc so sure. i feel like that's what you're getting at in this song and you sum it up when you say look closer and we can show you the enemy so i wondered if you were channeling this part of history when you wrote these lyrics um yeah i would say like 100 i mean it's also how i feel personally because after the uh attack on the capitol i would um i just saw you know tweets and online with people that were supposedly progressives mm -hmm. and being like how could they do this to the capital like, fuck it the capital like burn it down mm. I, I don't agree with why they're doing it but you know thank god somebody had the balls to do something i don't know this you know man. that i don't know the, i'm not advocating uh, for anything the, the the problem with uh politicians now is that like they're scared other people yeah um, you know in, in 17th century france you would fuck around and get guillotined if they uh if you fuck people over too much or, or anything, revolution would happen. And they've got us to a complacent state where we're defending these symbols and we don't even really realize it. So, and to tie it into Fred Hampton, I think, you know, that's that's obviously the kid. You know, they killed him when he was reaching out to Klan members. They killed mm -hmm. Malcolm when he came back and realized that blue-eyed, blind-haired people could be part of the movement. They killed Martin Luther King, when he started talking about the economic consequences of a lot of the things, when you start to reach out across the aisle like that, that's when they uh, they get nervous because we all have the same enemy. Mm. Um, right. The great, you know, the greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing poor white people that being white's more important than not getting fucked over. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to play this song for so many people that I don't personally know, but so many people that I've heard talk, namely about Trump, and just be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are you fucking doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, because it's like, just like, 
I don't know if it like shattered an illusion of something, but it's like this Trump is literally America. I don't like what are you you know what I'm saying? Like he didn't just come out. I don't know. I think my, my beef a lot of the and I try not to be that sort of dude who like shits on like I mean, you know, you gotta shit on liberals hard. You know what I mean? Like it because it, it's just like this like I don't know what that weird dream that you thought America was that recently got shattered. Right. But it's like, you know, that's always been a fucking thing. You know what I mean? Like it if anything, Trump's just more honest about it, about being an imperialist piece of shit. You know, it's funny, actually, we were going to name the song uh, Hang Mike Pence, but like, because that's what they were chanting at the... Um, <laughs> at the <laughs> that was the outro first, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was. It was like, yeah, Damn. instead of Fuck 12, was Hang Mike Pence. Oh, wow. But, you know. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Not, I, I didn't say it. They said it. I was just, you know, I'm a reporter. <laughs> yeah, a yo, yeah. Yeah. This is a live account. Yeah. you. <laughs> Well, this is sort of leading me to something I was planning to ask at some point, just yeah. about like the boldness of this album. Uh, Brian, you really don't pull any punches. You're not holding back lyrically. And I'm wondering if you've received any negativity in response for lines like, you know, uh, like what we're talking about, about the Capitol or referencing shooting Joe Biden and other places in the album. Have you received like any blowback from that? You know what? Not, uh, not yet, because I think it's at the album's still at a certain point where the people that are hearing it are going to be like aligned with those views. Mm -hmm. Um, If it expands more, like, you know, I'm sure that would probably be coming, but um, I don't know. I just, it's some of it's shocking and some of that's intentional, but the reason there's also not blowback is I think I'm touching like fundamental truths that like we all kind of know, regardless of like what side of the aisle you kind of stand on. Um, you know, things are kind of fucked, regardless of who's responsible. Like, we should do something yeah. or at least talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, I haven't been fired yet from my job, so. All right. Good. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm going to sue, and hopefully they do fire me. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, ultimately, going back to all of this is, like, it's hard for me to explain without sounding, you know, kind of hippy dippy but like we all essentially want the same thing we want most of us you know i mean there's some definitely some pieces of shit but there's like a weird way that everybody talks to each other where it seems like we're disagreeing like most of us want to be healthy and we want other people to be healthy and happy mm-hmm. essentially you know and i think we sort of especially brian sort of touches on that sort of anger that you know um, and it, but not in a moderate sense. Does that make sense? He's not like, well, you know, I see things from the middle. It's it's more, you know, but um, you know, it's just like the discourse is so muddled, and you know, vitriolic that you, it's just like we we can't villainize other working class people as much as you know, um, you know, the fucking rednecks are sometimes like, I mean, a lot of the times, straight up dickheads, assholes. You know what I mean? But like at the end of the day on a fundamental level, we want the same shit, you Mm. know? I mean, there's, these people are complaining about big pharma, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, in in a weird way, does that make sense? Like, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, we fucking hate big pharma. Like we all do, you know, that's an issue, you know, but you're also capping for capitalism. So it's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So going back to what uh, Brian was saying, like we touch on a lot of shit that um, I feel like, a lot of people can sort of agree with. And if they don't, they could suck my dick. 
take well you you are uh, i mean we're talking about the anger that comes through on the album but i want to talk about the instrumental pieces on this project they, oh, yes. they have they've really impacted me when i consider the project as a whole in the context in which it was created you know i think this is a truly great like pandemic era album but the instrumental pieces for me give space for some of the grief and and sadness and despair that i think everyone has felt at some point over the last couple of years and they kind of yeah. humanize the two of you they kind of make you more complete was that in any way the intention when when you're adding them or yeah them? no 100 percent. yeah without it yeah. and you actually nailed it very few people do because people just see them as interludes like every time mm. we get write-ups it's like these interludes are way too long I'm so you glad know. you didn't call him interludes. He would have went yeah. on the no, field, man. I bitch about it every day to Brian. I'm like, how is it a four-minute interlude? <laughs> it's like yeah, a whole song. Right. You have a whole person singing on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, for the instrumental parts, I guess we're talking about. But yeah, no, nah, that's uh, that's definitely a very vulnerable. And like a lot of a lot of them, I, I left pretty sparse. They're like very sparse and bare for that reason specifically. You know, um, you know, because a lot of my shit tends to be like uh, I tend to be a maximalist with my compositions a lot of the times. But on this record, I kept it moderately bare just, you know, just to keep it open and, you know, have a breather uh, in between those really angry songs. It, it would it, it sort of punctuates the record, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like all the, those records with the rapping, I think, you know, back to back to back to back would have been kind of numbing in a sense you wouldn't have time to kind of reflect on what you just heard and that's why we say you know obviously everybody's busy we appreciate anybody listening but if you can listen to it from like front to back um you know that's that's definitely the way it was uh it was designed kind of like uh fear of a black planet takes a nation of millions i was listening to a lot of like chuck d and ice cube uh while like writing so that's i think where a lot of anger came from too it's a balance like we were talking about before, you know, and like Rob mentioned, you know, it's it humanizes you. We can be angry a lot of the times, but there's also going to be times where you're breaking down sure. um, oh, yeah. and you have to that's, sort of sit with the sadness. Yeah, that's me most of the time. Yeah, yeah I feel that. Yeah, yeah. a thousand <laughs> I percent. I feel like, that. God damn it. I have to see Brian's ugly face every day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what do they say? Um, the, depression is uh, is rage turned inward yeah the mm -hmm. sopranos yeah, yeah mm -hmm. that's sopranos but yeah so you can't really have uh one without the other without the come down that's right yeah that's right yeah all right so back to the frustration <laughs> um <laughs> one, one thing i really appreciate about this album is a lack of hesitation you all have when you're calling folks out and i'm not just talking about the cops or the government you're also holding your community and society accountable i'm thinking of one line in particular from head clean you don't want revolution you want a tesla and this is something that i've struggled with hearing folks talk the talk but not seeing them walk the walk we want right. change but we don't do a damn thing to change ourselves right um, really frustrating and so i know a lot of this is sort of an outlet for you in terms of getting out your frustration, but I'm wondering if you all sort of see this as part of a larger conversation. And do you think this is sort of you putting forth an effort and helping to change the narrative? Um, yeah, we said, um, 
when Rhino dropped, um, that we may not be like revolutionaries or activists. You know, we're artists. Our hands are soft. Um, but we want to be the music that those people are playing. You know what I'm saying? So it's, yeah. it, it's, it's very much, yeah, I mean, we do kind of want to be in the conversation because I think we both believe that it's not a requirement to make great music just to be political or to speak to the times. You know, you can do whatever you need to do, but mm-hmm. we feel like it's needed. And, you know, that's, that's it's also towards us, though. It's also, it's not. We're just speaking us to ourselves, too. Yeah. yeah. A lot of we it is us talking more. to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes I just like money. You know, I sometimes <laughs> I have these sort of like, and, and I mean, like to, an, like, to an obscene level. You know what I mean? And a lot of the times we say to ourselves, like, you know, if we, we like, if we, if we were Elon Musk, for example, one day I became Elon Musk, would I feel the same way? You know, you, or is it a pang, or is it that, or if I woke up white, you know what I mean? Thank God, I just did my DNA test. No European, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, no offense, Rob. Yeah. I'm cool. That's yeah, cool. but um, yeah. So a lot of it is is like very introspective. Mm-hmm. You know that you, you don't want revolution. You want a Tesla is is not necessarily very accusatory for yeah. anybody. Sure. Um, you know, it's just, it's an all, if the shoe fits, you know, but, right. you know, because I want a fucking Tesla. <laughs> the thing, it's, 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 they are, yo, want, they are fucking nice. Yeah, <laughs> come on now. Tesla, get a Tesla, but like, you can't do the other thing too. It's it's yeah. about, it's like playing the center like we were talking about. Like, you gotta, you gotta kind of choose a side. I know, you know, Jay-Z got roasted on uh, Twitter a couple yeah. weeks ago. What and it's do? like, you know. I don't remember that. So Jay Z is a capitalist, and so oh, yeah. got pissed off because people were like, "Well," and they were like saying that, and he more or less said that, alluded to the fact that that word was created to sort of discourage black folks. Oh, I remember um, that. Yeah, yeah, from participate yeah. from from basically like you know trying to aspire to wealth and and sort of almost likened it to a racial slur so i would yeah it was this whole fucking thing yeah don't make fun of my money yeah basically basically yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. that's basically it's funny because i mean he's honest but my like i have uncles on facebook who do that but they're broke (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah Uh, come on now (laughs) you know (laughs) Uh, it's like yeah. a, a, you know all about that hustle culture and shit and it's yeah. just kind of like yeah. oh you know this person became the first black billionaire and like you know you're like yeah that does nothing for me exactly then, you know what i'm saying like exactly. that does literally nothing but like you know I, I was just like yeah i wouldn't like that but really like what the fuck is it's like what does that inspire me to do like throw a brick right. through a window right you know what i mean <laughs> right you know? Jay-Z has more merit than, to saying it than my uncles, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he got the money to back it up. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. This is like, dude, you, you just started driving for Uber, man. You're not Jay-Z, <laughs> you know? Oh, damn it. You know? Like, I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's nothing, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, the Uber driver is much more, it's like, we need the Uber driver in society. We yeah. don't fucking need Jay-Z. You know, Brian might disagree. Right. You know, that, right. That's his dad, but like. You know, yeah, pre kingdom come Jay Z, we definitely need it. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> well, speaking of your peers in the industry, I, I think a, a large part of the folks included in this conversation around accountability 
you know, are these people, um, fellow, fellow rappers, fellow artists, you're calling mm -hmm. folks out for sexual assault, for selling out, yeah. for respectability, Ooh. politics, lack of creativity, where it concerns the craft, etc. So I'm wondering if you feel a sense of responsibility to address these things that are happening within a culture. And do you also expect folks to hold you accountable in the same way? Uh, 100% to both of those. Um, yeah, I, I, know, do, I do. And that's why a lot of people, you know, I'm not gonna name names, but I'll, we, uh, we've made some enemies for sure for that, for even sure. before King Cobra, yeah. And that's okay, because you, uh, you don't wanna be friends with some of these people and I'm not that's gonna right. name names, but yeah, there has been the, uh, you know, the sexual assault stuff, which happened, um, a little bit in our local music scene. Was well, like kind of rampant a little bit, yeah, you know? Rampant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I expect people to hold me accountable, but what I also know is that while nobody's perfect, um, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's not... <laughs> right. A dancer, that's not going to happen. And it's not you being treated unfairly or being canceled. Like, you know, you fucked up. Um, right. And those, chicken, and those chickens always come home to roost in some way. And rap music is about if you think another motherfucker's whack you gotta let them know you throw pm dawn off the stage or <laughs> um you know you um say you don't like jay-z's albums if you're not you have to that's part of the competitive nature and right. that's part of what pushes the creativity forward you know puff inventing the player hater kind of made it uncool to critique someone's like lack of skill mm. and and I like a lot of rap music where skill isn't involved, but to act like that's not an important component, we lose something there. Yeah. It's definitely, I mean, sometimes it, it gets a little hectic because, you know, it's it's like, a, it's kind of a cutthroat game. Um, and the more you're in it, the more it just gets a little, you get a little road weary. Mm. Um, but then sometimes you're energized and ready to sort of go out and fight, you know? Um, yeah, the, the sense of bravado to it is like none, none other. Because I've been in punk bands, we didn't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm a producer. I don't beef with other producers. Like, yo, fuck you. You don't know how to use a compressor. You know, <laughs> <laughs> your distortion game is weak. You know. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, but it does get exhausting a, lo yeah. a lot of the times. You know what yeah. I mean? Because sure. um, yeah. people have big egos, me included. And, you know, to get that hurt. But then also at the same time, you sort of use that anger to just push yourself and, uh, you know, make shit that you, you've never heard before. Mm. You know? Yeah, that's right. You know, which is which is what I constantly hope to kind of keep on doing. The, yeah, um, that's 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 the end goal is like um, just to always make some shit people haven't heard or at least try to. Yeah, um, it's like, try to. Yeah. It's like this hair metal phase that, you know, we've been stuck in um, with like rap for like the past couple of years. I like a lot of this shit, but. I just can't imagine hearing somebody's record and being like, well, let me make a record that sounds just like that. Like I watch Say yeah. Cheese and everybody sounds like Rod Wave. And it's just yeah. like- Or Pop Smoke. Or Pop Smoke or, or whoever. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Do better, everybody. No, for sure. I mean, I love that kind of shit, but like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's like, what's the point of making music? I guess some people want to do it as a means to an end, not necessarily for the music, but it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, I have a little bit of integrity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know if Monsanto asked me to make a make a beat, though. I, you know, I, I'd sell out. Monsanto or like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, General Electric, you know. 
I'd be like, here's a trap beat, man. <laughs> yeah, Jack Jack Harlow wants me to like write the next album. I don't oh know. man, you're well, what's he paying? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I will make Ben Carson look like Marcus Garvey. How about that? <laughs> oh shit! Gifted hands the album. Yeah. What? <laughs> wow. Oh I'm playing. man. What am I? Uh, <laughs> you never know. Everybody's got a price. Yeah. No, no. I mean, what? Like, ultimately, what I'm saying is, like, I don't want to come off as holier than thou, because, like, right. none yeah, of right. us are above propaganda. None sure. of us are above capitalist sort of inclinations. Sure. You know, we're American. Um, yeah, right. And so I'm being exactly. conditioned. Right. You know, yeah. 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 You know, and you know, when I say these things in jest. You know, there's a little bit of truth to them because it's a it's kind of an existentialist thing to me. Because if I wasn't yeah. homeless, would I care so much about homeless people and sex workers and shit like that? Mm. You know, if I wasn't African, would I care for the the black power struggle? So I don't know, I don't know. Because mm. sometimes I'm fucking lazy, man. <laughs> like for real, sometimes I just want to sit in bed and do nothing. You know, I get like apathy. You know, and it's just easier for me to just worry about myself. Sure. I just don't want to be phony about it. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. that's real. Right, right. Just to, just to be real there for a second. I thought I remember reading somewhere that uh, King Cobra almost didn't get released, but then I couldn't find where I read that. That's true. When I was doing the research. Did I make that up? Or no, no, you were 100% correct. We heard it. We drove around uh, smoking cigarettes. Actually, we went to a diner. We listened to it. In full, and then like Brian and I were like, "Oh yeah, it's good." And then we went home, and we we're like, "This fucking sucks." So Terrible. Bad. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. We didn't like wow. speak to each other for a while. <laughs> it was like a, it was like a week, and then we we're like, "Fuck it." But um, yeah, we we're just we had to release it eventually. But like, I don't know, maybe because we were fo- focusing so hard as as micro that we didn't see mm-hmm. the macro of it. Right. Um, you know, and mine coming from a technical standpoint, where like, oh man, the, these fucking the kick sounds like shit. You know, it's little shit like that that sort of stacks up, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, or I'd hear something be like, man, I could have done a better take. Like, the little shit. Right, exactly. Um, Kendrick was releasing an album, um, and, you know, he tends to sort of get, like, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know. We It's just like, we were like, we're, hard on, it. we're hard on ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm more hard on Brian. I love myself. This is like, I got to keep a watch on him. You know? <laughs> He doesn't like to work. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like yeah, you're, you're too close to it. Too close. Too to close. It. And that's what it is too. Like we worked on uh, King Cobra from like beginning to end, from the initial inception to what it wound up being. Probably like yeah, uh, you know, like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, we did and a, most of a, that was planning. Yeah, most, yeah. We only did is probably like a total of maybe four or five studio sessions. Yeah. Um, and we did a big one after we got a lot of writing and production done in like June or July, 2021, we left with like seven joints and um, other than melancholy boogie, we like scrapped all those um, and kind of went back and rewrote and and redid things. You know, there were completely different verses on some tracks, a lot of joints left off, Um, but we're not, we don't create in the studio. You know, we do a lot of planning, conceptualizing, Sending Boys demos notes. back and forth. Yeah, and then we just yeah. get in and, and try to knock that out. Yeah, it's a lot of it's. A, it was a lot, and I think that was also another thing is the battle plan was constantly 
we had to sort of yeah because when i i tried not to record it in my house this time just because i wanted some so i i hired a studio or actually a couple and um when you're in the studio the heat the heat's on because it's uh, it's rate it's a it's on a rate you know uh you know you get hungry in there so like when you're in there you try to fucking nail it as fast as you can and um it would get stressful you know uh because for example Brian has a kid and we couldn't go to a studio for another month. And then we have this bunk take, you know, so I just sit there trying to sort of fix it on my own. So we don't have to go back, you know, just little small details like that, you know, yeah. uh, but there was some things that we definitely flipped. I mean, we did melancholy boogie so many times and uh, finally we were both happy with the, the last result, you know? So I don't know. It drained the fuck out of me, though. This record, holy shit! Like, you know, just I, mean, I don't think I've talked about that ever on on any of my uh, interviews, at least in depth. But like, I still can't touch an instrument. You know, really? I just played. Yeah, yeah, I just played a show. I played with my old band, and um, cause I'm in like a sort of like a jazz band, and um, you know, they were talking about making new music again, and I just was like, I like literally have nothing. You know, wow. you know. Well, hopefully, I get it back. But uh, yeah, it's been tough. It's been real tough, mm. just because of it. Just took so much brain power. You know, mm. you know, not to be a complainer or anything, but it, it was fucking whack. <laughs> you know, the pain was real. <laughs> well, well, we're we're grateful. We're reaping the benefits. I read the article that came out in Baltimore Beat, and I wondered what it was like uh, for the two of you to have your music and this album so closely compared to Ornette Coleman, and also what it was like to be so positively received by a local news outlet. That was um, wild. That was a little yeah. crazy to me. Yeah, because that wasn't every coffee shop. We were the front page of the this paper, which is like a really yeah. big paper here. Yeah, the circulation is yeah. like crazy. It um felt like validation, because for a while, as far as, you know, the, the local rap scene in Baltimore goes, like that kind of art rap scene we have, we were kind of in a way like on the outskirts of it. For a, uh, for a variety of reasons, um, namely because, you know, we talked about some of the people that were involved in it, our issues with that, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and we also, there's some people that we reached out to the work that just wouldn't get back with us. So, like, the bitterness built up and, like, the ego and, you know, the the rapper part of us and the hip-hop producer part of us was like, but we're better than these motherfuckers. So then, so then when we get the article... And that article, and there was the Baltimore Banner article that, you know, called it like an art rap classic, just felt vindicating. Um, mm. Like, yeah, we knew it. We knew it. And I think we can do mm -hmm. better, and we still hear stuff wrong with the album, but we're trying to just soak in the... the yeah, the I'm trying to apply for those grants, because I really need to hire, like, my dream is to really just hire an orchestra. And I've played, I've played Brian has performed with the... the uh, my music has been transposed for a live like 16 piece orchestra mm. where I performed, but I want to do that for the next record for sure. Cause I'm a composer by trade, yeah. you know? And, uh, so applying for grants really just even pushing harder than we did this time, you know, going in there and like having a battle plan. And if the battle plan doesn't work out, having even written down, cause I have a, a whole notebook. I have notebooks, notebooks filled with notes, but what I didn't do on the last notes is write, plans that would happen if one plan fell through you know so i'd like to go in this time with the budget with you know these sort of plans see what i did wrong last time and sort of um cut trim the fat so i'm not using up too much energy on 
uh, certain things that I've, you know, learning from my mistakes, basically. I, it's funny because I'm a messy ass person, but when it comes to this shit, it's like I'm very like Rain Man, you know, like, you know. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. Tom Cruise just like walking into the airport so he doesn't freak out and shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Stankoni. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's your national underground, underground, when I stop the ground. Like a million elephants, a silverback, a rangatang, you can't stop a train. Who wants up? Don't come unprepared. I'll be there, but when I leave there, better be a household name. Brother man telling us it ain't gonna rain. So now we sitting in a drop top soaking wet. In the silk suit, try not to sweat. Hit some assaults without the net. But this be the year that we won't forget. One nine, nine, nine. Every episode, we ask our guests to choose a, a personal classic or a record that's been especially influential on them. Tonight, we're talking about Outkast and we're talking about Stankonia. So pose the question to the two of you, why Stankonia? Why are we talking about this record? I remember, I think it was like Halloween 2000 when this dropped. On that date, uh, Dynasty dropped that day too. So I was one of those kids that, you know, every Tuesday went to Best Buy, got the new albums. And I sat with Stankonia and you know the lyrics were in the line of notebook and it just um it, you know it blew me away in ways that are, are hard to even really wrap my mind around now i remember buying the the bottoms of a baghdad single on vinyl and listening to the song then listening to the acapella then listening to the beat and then listening to the song again um i say all that to say rolling stone did a, a 200 greatest albums list a couple of months ago. Um, and some of it wasn't that bad. And some of it was kind of clickbaity. But the one thing I think they got right was they had Stank going in as the number two rap album of all time. And I would yeah. put it at number wow. and I would put it at uh at number two as well. I know some people thought it was a little supposedly there's a, a version of it that Double XL reviewed, um, that's less overproduced. Um, it's more minimalist with no skits, um, that I've never heard. Uh, hmm. But yeah, well, I've, this is the first time I've heard about this. Man. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a 13 track joint, but I think it's uh, expansive. I have this theory that when this dropped with Dynasty, it was like a moment in uh, a moment in time where hip hop could have gone in like one or two directions. Either they hear Stankonia and the artists challenge themselves further, they could like take on that challenge of being futuristic and being political and being funny. Or you just make like this cookie cutter rap, which is serviceable, mm, but it's kind of like yeah. one size fit all, like Dynasty. What yeah. they call it again, yeah. cell phone rap became a thing yeah, yeah. shortly and, afterwards. And, mm. and we're in the timeline where, you know, everybody decides. Oh, it's a cat. Dynasty. But yeah, yeah, I just think it's a, uh, I don't know if it's uh I don't know if it's perfect, but uh, it's damn close, I think. Yeah. And I think the skits work, which is rare for a late 90s rap album. Yeah. And yeah. it's the best rapping, I think, that both of them did mm. oh man they were they were bodying on that record man that's like to me that's my number one that's the number one rap album of all time i think mm, because wow. they did it they did it so well 
because me and Brian, we get called art rap all the time, which is cool, you know, but they made an art rap record and not once got called an art rap record. Hmm. It was like, because like the streets even was listening to it. You yeah. know what I yeah. mean? It yeah. wasn't just, you know, I don't know. They think, oh man, I could cry. Talk about how good that record is. Mm. Like Toiletisha mm. is my, that, that song. Oh man. It's like, I try to get every synth even on King Cobra to be as bold as Toiletitia's synth because it's so cru- like crusty and distorted and bold. It's like right in the front. But it's the it, only time spoken word poetry has been good. Yo, like, no, seriously. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, joking, joking. Spoken word's great. Spoken Afghan, wigs, <laughs> Afghan wigs is pretty good. There's a band called Afghan wigs that kind of does spoken word uh, stuff. But, yeah, but, but before you guys give me a take, the last thing I wanted to say is just the um, oh, Miss Jackson. Bad, Oh no, you're good. Miss Jackson going into uh snapping and trapping. Um yeah. like that dichotomy. Um, you know, it, it's still to this day, like in it it makes sense. It's not jarring. Um, it doesn't feel like two different worldviews. It's it's their Atlanta, which is like the year three thousand, but also like nineteen ninety-nine too. Yeah, it's a very yeah. psychedelic experience. But and I don't mean to say that in in the like, well, this is trippy, man. But in the sense that it's very kaleidosco- uh, kaleidoscopic in, in, in its patchworks. You know, it's mm-hmm. a patchwork, but it's still very symmetrical in the same way. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it's um, yeah. like it, it like it, it bleeds into each other very nicely. God, mm-hmm. what a good fucking record, man. I can't imagine you you're talking about the album without the skits. I can't imagine it with I can't imagine that. The skits make this album for 100%. me. 100 yeah. percent Like that's right. Atlanta, yeah. You're talking yeah. about tracks bleeding into each other. The skits really hype you up for the for the track that's about to come on, especially that break. Like no, it's, yeah, it's so fucking good. It's so good, <laughs> and they're fucking hilarious. Yo, hilarious. Larry, stay off that blow. Yeah, <laughs> break, girl, girl. That's just Hawaiian steel. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's another so one good. where it starts with like this really cool trumpet riff that's so good, and I wish they continued it. It goes. I think it's Cookie and Kim. Yeah. I'm like, yo, because they did that in Spotty Odie, too, that crazy, Mm -hmm. like, weird, Mm -hmm. like, uh, brass line. Yeah. You know? And they just, like, kind of left it there. I don't know. Whoever's writing those brass lines for Outcast, though, shout out to you, my man. You know? (laughs) Yeah. But uh, Kim and Cookie, shout out to them, too. (laughs) Hilarious. It's just hilarious. Yeah, it's amazing. Harder than a nigga trying to impress God. Yeah. (laughs) Yo. Come on, man! Like what? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo, what? Oh man, mm-hmm. that shit makes me so like. I my I used to have a CD player, and my I, I my mom used to go to church all the time, and I used to actually like it for the music. But once the music, you know, went off, and like you know, beautiful gospel music, blah blah blah. But once I got off, it's just a whole lot of nothing to me. Still is, but I found these fucking beanies that had headphones in them. So in the winter, mm-hmm. I would fucking put that shit on and I would just have Outcast on. Because it's a CD player. You know what I'm saying? You're there for yeah. three, four hours. So I'm just sitting there like, mm. <laughs> my mom's like, he's really feeling Jesus today. <laughs> and you were listening to I'll Call Before I Come. And- <laughs> Yo, yeah. Yeah. You really don't want to know about some gangster shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I-, I feel like this album is like, I mean, we, we kind of touched on this, but to me, it's like a perfect 
um, snapshot of both Big Boy and Andre. Yeah. Like, you got the psychedelic sound, but they still had organized noise doing their thing. So you get so, uh, so fresh and so clean, and you get Bombs Over Baghdad, which to me is like, is like Dre and Big Boy. Dre right, and Big Boy. right. And not so cut and dry, like um, Speaker Box. Right. Um, it was more melded together, which I, exactly. you know. Yeah, no, that's, oh, man. You get, like, different ca- uh, camps of outcast people, but people are just wrong. You know, <laughs> you're just objectively wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That album means so fucking much to me. Like for yeah. real. Like I, I listened to it and like, it could have come out today. Mm. You know, I definitely 100%. think it could come out today for sure. Yeah, yeah, like you know, and it's not even because people are doing what they're doing. Because you know, there's some things like you listen to it and then it's like, oh, this is you know, I see what he's trying to do. He's trying to go back to that like, you know, that boom bap shit. You know, but yeah. for them, it's just like, oh, this could have come out today and you would still say it's outcast. You yeah. know? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. There's very, yeah. that's a very, very hard thing to pull off because you don't have hindsight when you're making it. Mm-hmm. I think you it's know? definitely when they establish themselves to me, at least, like objectively, mm-hmm. as the greatest rap group of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. Without I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's much argument there. It's uh, the closest thing hip hop's ever made to the Beatles. Um, there's a lot of parallels there as well. Yeah, um, Bride loves the Beatles. I loved, I loved the Beatles too. Yeah, I, yeah, me yeah, too. Bride, me too. Bride's the rubber soul, the rubber soul revolver, Sergeant Pepper run reminds me of like AT Aliens, Equipment High, mm. and Stay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love, and I love mm-hmm. AT Aliens. A lot of people, you know, AT Aliens is their favorite. Yeah, um, it's a little muted as far as their production. Like it gets a little dreary, a little same soundy. Even though it's great, Equipment High is obviously amazing. Yeah, um, I don't have anything bad to say about Equimini, but Stankoni is just—it's pop. It's hard as fuck. It's—it's it's really black. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like as fuck. As fuck. Like, it's, yeah, like it's definitely like wow. Like this, like it touches you on like this whole cosmic level, you know. And I, before I even knew sound production or anything like that it would confuse me. And as I learn sound production and stuff, it confuses me even more mm. because it shouldn't be able to work. You know what I mm. mean? And they yeah. weren't doing, you know, they're just like, you know, they, there's clear influences like, you know, P-Funk and all that shit. But like yeah. the way they did it is just like, I don't know, y'all. y'all you, oh, man, I don't, <laughs> it's a great <laughs> fucking record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That record, man. It was like oh, made me yeah. feel cool to be a black art kid. Mm-hmm. You know, especially mm-hmm. at the time when people mm-hmm. were like listening to Boosie and you know, yeah. like, Lil, Lil Webby, all those dudes growing up, you know, and that was like, you know, these dudes from the same part of the country, you know, like the South, and they were just as hard, but they were more like Andre would, I would dress more like Andre. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Very, very few people maybe feel that way. I mean, another person's MF Doom, but like, mm-hmm. you know, he's still a nerd though. Niggas yeah. aren't really like, you know, like it, my cousins aren't listening to MF Doom. <laughs> you know what I'm right, saying? Right. You know? Right. But my cousins were listening to Outcast when it came out. You know, and like mm. my like my cousins who were like, you know, much more cooler and were gangbanging type type dudes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's such an important point. Three Sacks really made it okay for you to be black and different. One hundred percent. I, yeah. I, yeah, I really resonated with that because I got made fun of a lot for like branching out, listening to different music and, and what people don't realize is that black people influence every fucking genre of music, but oh yeah, 
that's another conversation, but he just really made me feel comfortable in my own skin. And I mean, now I think it's more accepted to be a, a black nerd and, and oh, to, yeah, so, but a lot know, of that then back yeah. then, no, mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah, no, not yeah. at all. Like, cause it was like super masculine, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, and, but it's just like, whoa, this is like, here's a guy and nobody's dissing it. You know what I'm saying? No, I mean, except for, no one. Except for East Coast people, but you know, what were they making back then? You know, some trash. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And you got this like flamboyant dude who's coming in there and just like he's nice on the mic. He's making like crazy uh, um allegories and all this shit. Like, what? Yeah. You know, it really makes you feel powerful it when does. you don't have a lot of power. Yeah. It does. You know? yeah. Especially growing up kind of you know, poor and black, you know, it's just like, whoa. Mm -hmm. You know, poor, black, and weird? Man, come on. Get the fuck yeah. out of here, man. Anyway, enough of me gushing. I definitely remember feeling like these guys could do anything. Anything. I saw them live a couple times around the time this album came out. One was at a, a, a free show at the University of Maryland. and Oh, shit. You went to College Park? I didn't go to the University of Maryland, but I was there for some okay. reason for that show. And... uh he was, you know, Andre was wearing his furry moon boots and, and they had male backup dancers that look like linebackers and they wow. were incredible. <laughs> they might have had a live band for that show, too. I would just remember being like, these guys are rock stars. Like, they could do whatever they yeah. want. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's crazy you said uh, College Park because the, they mentioned College Park a, a couple of times. I think they say it in... Um, well, they're talking about College Park Atlanta. Yeah, they're no, Atlanta, I, used to, I, was yeah. Like, I used to be like, yo, Maryland, you know, but I, was like, <laughs> I was a kid, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, we all do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, but it's, uh, this is apparently another College Park full, you know, full of posers. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, um, E and Robert, is this you all's favorite Outcast album or no? Um... Now, now you're about to talk some shit. I'm about to log off. Oh, I'm not <laughs> at all. It's a no. <laughs> I'm really glad you picked this album. I'm going to be honest with you. It's been years since I listened to it, but mm -hmm. man, I just, I jumped right the fuck back in, you know, as soon as I started listening to it, I was like, yes. And I miss this album so much. I think overall AT aliens is probably my favorite one. I get it. Um, but I love this album so much, especially because of what it, what I just talked about, what it did for me, just like being able to see three stacks, be this sort of role model for me people someone who was different and somebody who like you said didn't really get a lot of shit about being different um that was really important for me and so i think like it goes beyond the music um yeah. in terms of this album i also really think this album is really important because you hear this conversation that rappers have now like i'm not just an mc i'm an artist mm. and i really think stankonia set that tone for out for sure they weren't just mcs they are fucking artists and this really yeah. showed their range i think they were leading up to this and the projects before but this really is what did it ever yeah. after this people were like yep yeah sort of showing off their musical muscles essentially you know their prowess yeah. you know yeah with that with that being like kind of like eminem now where he's just rapping really fast and like being like see i'm the greatest but like right they showed what they had on top of artistic merit does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. A lot of people, you know, and I'm not downplaying Kanye's sort of involvement in that artist um, sort of uh, dialogue as well, you know, because, you know, a lot of people, when you, you think of the artist, not a rapper, you would say Kanye eventually. But um, they they were doing it seven years before, before that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And um, I mean, to start an album with, uh, with Gasoline Dreams, 
Oh, 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 man. Yeah. Don't yeah. fucking like play with just... me, bro. Don't play with me, man. <laughs> you, got, you, got like, you got Kujo Goody on there, and it's just like... um, Is this Sleepy Brown know, on there? Is that Sleepy Brown? No, it's, uh, it's Kujo and uh, Big Boy and Andre. Mm-hmm, but uh, right, Andre man. is just full-on singing, you know, about heaven and Crook on the Toll, and Big Boy's talking about L.A. Reed bailing out of jail, and then Kujo's doing his Goody Mob thing, and then you go into So Fresh, So Clean, which is might be one of the most commercial records. Um, yeah. which is back to back with Miss Jackson, and then you get snapping and trapping, which is like, um, it's hard, um, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard in some of the ways when you get older, you look back at rap and you're like, Yeah, it's a little misogynistic, blah blah blah. But the technique is there, um, mm-hmm. and they're just rapping their asses off, yeah. You know, I mean, they definitely, you know, they definitely couldn't fully obviously escape the time that they were from, but at the same time. Like it's 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 an album that will definitely supersede us for sure. I at least in my as far as I'm concerned, you yeah. know, I don't I I've never seen music ever going towards that, that direction. Maybe it's maybe I'm just jaded, and you know mm-hmm. I'm you know because a lot of people are like there hasn't been anything this good since 1963, you know. <laughs> but like honestly, I I have I have yet to see it. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been great records after that. Right, but as far as I'm concerned, yeah, no record. That was the last, that was the last the time I heard this? some shit. That was the last time I heard some shit, and I was like, I've never heard this before. Right, um, yeah, that's it was it. like mm-hmm. Stangonia, um, Black on both sides, and like Supreme Clientele, all mm-hmm. came out within like a year. Mm-hmm. And it was the last time I remember listening to like classic hip hop and being like, "Well, this is brand new." Everything right. else yeah. has been as much as I love Kanye or uh, or MF Doom or some Kendrick shit. It's all a takeaway of something, you know, somebody else is there. As right. Yeah, even King Cobra is big homages right, right. to classic rap, you know? Yeah. And um, I know we, we harp on a lot, like we're trying to make something that nobody's heard before, but it's it's on a, it's a, it's on a whole album basis, but the songs you can sort of recollect and be like, oh, this is a trap song. Oh, this is a funk song. Oh, this is a classical piece, you know? So it's a whole album as opposed to Stanconia which is every song is like unlike any other rap song there is. So I don't know, like shout out to them, man. Those are fucking gods. I don't know what they're up to. I don't know. I don't want to know their politics right now. I'd really rather not. So I, you know, I've met some of my favorite artists and they ended up being like the worst people ever. So if Andre, if you're listening, I love you. Mwah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to meet Big Boy, but we did meet several of the guys from Goody Mob Woo! and Sleepy Brown and mm-hmm. uh, Backbone. Shout out to oh, Backbone. Shit. We did an interview. We did an interview with Backbone at the Dungeon Family Tour when I came through Philly a couple years Man, ago. Man, listen, uh, that's awesome. Those guys were all super sweet, really nice dudes. Fucking crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, for real. Really pleasant surprise. Shout out I was to just sh- I was showing my. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Let me go in. That's fucking. Boy, He's from Baltimore. So. Yeah, Baltimore yeah. City. I'm like right in the middle of the city too. Where, but, where are um, you guys at? Where you guys located? Ian Riley? Philly. We're, Philly. We're in Philly. Oh shit. Uh, okay. Oh, so we're, we're neighbors. Yeah. 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 We're uh, your little brother. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I grew up in Maryland, right outside of Baltimore. Actually. Where? I grew up in Ellicott, Ellicott City. Get out of here. No way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. lives in Glen Burnie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not far at all. Ellicott yeah, yeah. City, where my uh, where my shrink is at. So I know the area. Okay. Yeah. Yo, yeah, because I was just showing my uh, my girlfriend's little brother, who, who was he's like born in ninety eight, ninety nine, mm. and uh, he played some Outcast song, 
And he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I've never heard any albums. I'm like more of a song guy, which which happens. You know, you get Spotify playlists now. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, and I showed him Dungeon Family. I showed him like, follow the light, they bleed to something. And he was like, whoa. You know, I don't know. It felt good. Yeah. I felt like. I felt like the old head. Like, what you know about yeah. this shit? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens to all of us, man. Next thing you know, I'm oh. starting to do that. You yeah, know I know. I mean? Oh, yeah. I feel so old that comes to that shit. Yeah, he wasn't even born, I think, when... Um, no, not... Yeah, because what? Uh, Stankonia's 99? 2000. Yeah. 2000. Yeah, well, his girlfriend was born in 2000. So, like, that to them is ancient history. You know? Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Damn it. that exist now. God, that are that, that are adults that finished college. You know? Oh wow. Yeah. Oh. I don't believe that. So. Yeah. Rob, yeah. you never answered the question about. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I mean, my answer is similar. Uh, ATLNs is my favorite. Uh, All right, logging off. For, Goodbye, Rob. Probably for. <laughs> no, no, don't go. Uh, probably for sentimental reasons, honestly. Um, but Stankonia. I mean, I remember the first time listening to this album and sp- um gasoline dreams came on and i was like yo what is this what is it man yeah. it's an album that i'm grateful for because it really stretched me like musically sonically and some of my favorite outcast like moments are on this album i really like there's a run that starts with humble mumble oh, oh yeah through red velvet where i'm just like it's incredible and then some of the production oh. stuff that happens in there like they use the sound of uh, glass filling up on the untitled track after after drinking again, and they like incorporate that in the beat. It's crazy. Yo, they they do like pitch shifting on Red Velvet, which I'd never heard before on a record, and now you hear it all the time. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. Shout out to Prince who really made that a thing too. You know, mm. another motherfucker, but who is out of this world. Um, yeah. But little did he know that waiting in the closet, no matter oh, what you call that little Playboy show guy, that? done. Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, is that a, a red velvet is because they know where you live. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. man. I have like, like your a head is a pound cake, then they shoot you, and now it's, it's bloody. So you're oh, red velvet. Man. Come on, red velvet. man. How can you measure a nigga by multiple figures he may got, got, got? Had he not purchased the newest Mercedes that loses value as soon as you drive the bitch off the lot, lot, lot. Would he still be the latest? Most wanted, doggone it, you want it. He got it, type nigga around the town, town. thinking about it. I, i'm gonna put it on the moment i hang up on you know what it might be the it might be my number one of all time i'm thinking about it now mm. Mm. Between, yeah i see um, i've convinced you we're good between salesman. stankonia and, and cuban links for me so 
Now, wait a second. Earlier in our interview, you said something about life after death. Life being after your favorite. death. Um, I have like the most memories attached to. I think it's mm. like my first disc man um, mm. that I got like as a gift, and like I got the album with it. And I saw I would put that at probably like number three, but I would put Cuban Links ahead of it because that's what life after death is. It's like uh, Cuban Links is a pop out. And yo, guys, I have, actually, I have to hang up because my phone's on one percent. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, man. yeah. Unfortunately, I right, will. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah, you. That was, that was it. Was a really fun talking to you guys. Good night. Peace. All right, peace. Bro. All right, peace. But yeah, just to wrap up that thought, I was just gonna say with Cuban Links. Um, I think it was every rapper's favorite rap album in like the mid '90s in New York. Yeah. Because um, everybody kind of you know took that style and kind of ran with it, whether it was the mafioso, whether it was the beats, whatever. So that's probably my number one. Okay. All right. Yeah. Brian, I just have one more question for you. Sure. If I remember correctly, I think this is Killer Mike's first appearance on an Outcast project. It is. And I wonder if Killer Mike is someone that you might cite as an influence uh, on your style. Um, uh, you know what? A little bit. Um, I always liked his uh, his earlier stuff, and obviously the Run the Jewel stuff is cool. But when he had that middle mixtape period, um. Yeah. Uh, that was when I was like really into him. And I think that did influence the style a little bit. Like being uh, hard without being, I don't know, like overly violent. You're showing people at least or overly misogynistic, but like your shit still bangs. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's he's up there, but not one of my top ones. I think top would be, you know, Cube, which I mentioned. Um, the vulgarity definitely comes from hardcore uh, Kim. And like uh, Inspected Deck and Cannabis are like big ones too. A little bit of Rick Ross. Okay. All right, I can see the, the Cube, Killer Mike, Brian Annals connection there. I think For sure, is, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely. Yeah. I think we're in the same like yeah, same wavelength. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, Brian, thank you so much. Thank you, Infinity Knives, for uh, hey, thank you all. This was good. Really appreciate your time. Is there anything that uh, you want folks to know about where to find the the record, where to find the music? Sure, sure. I mean, we're on uh, all streaming services. You know, Title, Spotify, and Apple. Uh, buy it off Bandcamp if you can. Uh, we'll have cassettes and merch uh, probably in like the next two or three weeks. Um, and if you're in the Brooklyn area, uh, October 2nd, we'll be performing with uh, Shrap now. Mm -hmm. All right. It's going to be a time. I'd love to be in Brooklyn for that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you for your time. Really appreciate hey, it. Thank you all so much. This has been The Next Movement. Thank you for listening. Peace. Peace. To harasses, coons and calabasses, most cops die in car crashes. Getting hit while pulling niggas over. Trying to fit a fucking quote.